0: From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio. Fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. The Supreme Court of Hawaii says the spirit of aloha overrules your Second Amendment rights. Plus, there are three cases before the U.S. Supreme Court that should be decided this year, including one involving gun ownership by those with restraining orders, one on bump stocks, and one on the free speech rights of the gun industry. That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek executive director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Sean Maloney, firearms attorney and co-founder of Second Call Defense. Hi, Sean. Welcome to the podcast. Dean, thanks for having me here again. Appreciate it. Well, Sean, what have you been up to recently? Any trips, hunting, new violations of law in your car? Have you been speeding anymore or what's going on?
1: You know, actually, I've been a very good boy when it comes to my, my traffic violations. Maybe it's because I'm not driving that much. I, have, I haven't have really been uh, taking any long, long trips uh, for the past few months, but uh, I just had a lot of work to do around the office and, of course, uh, try to hunker down uh, with what's going on in the United States.
0: So if you can stay in the office, you can stay out of trouble. That's what you're saying.
1: Well, then, you know, that's exactly right. I never thought about it that way, but I guess that's the key.
0: <laughs> Just stay in your office, stay out of your car, and you're good.
1: Dean, you're a very wise man. Has anybody
0: ever <laughs> uh, No one, ever. <laughs>
1: no, now you got it.
0: <laughs> Sean, as our resident legal expert, I wanted to ask you about some cases, including some cases that may be decided by the U.S. Supreme Court. But the first case I want to talk about is this case that came out of Hawaii and has been in the news recently. It's kind of kind of shocking, uh, you know, what they said in their ruling. Basically, they're saying that there's no Second Amendment right in Hawaii. And this involved a guy by the name of Christopher Wilson. He apparently had an unregistered 22 pistol, and he was charged with carrying a firearm and with having ammunition in public. So this case went through the legal process. Eventually, a circuit court, found for Wilson, dismissed the charges, but the case was appealed. It went all the way to the Hawaiian Supreme Court. They overruled it, sent it back to the circuit court. Basically, they found that Hawaii does not recognize a natural right to self-defense. They said, essentially, that they don't recognize any of the foundational Second Amendment cases, Heller, McDonald, Bruin, and they just declared that there is no constitutional right to carry a firearm in public. In fact, they used the phrase, the spirit of aloha. And they believe that the spirit of aloha trumps whatever it is the U.S. Supreme Court found. So, Sean, what do you think about this case? This is rather stunning, don't you think?
1: Well, it's stunning and it's troublesome. And I like to think that that uh, uh, that freedom trumps what the Supreme Court's doing. You know, essentially, Hawaii has almost the exact same, I think it is, the, the same Second Amendment uh, to their constitution in Hawaii that we have to the United States constitution. Yet they decided to interpret completely oppositely and decided, you know what? You don't have a a right to to keep and bear arms and protect yourself. And what's even more troublesome in in, in there is that, uh, New York state rifle pistol versus Bruin was almost on fours with the same exact case that was filed at the same time coming out out of Hawaii. They essentially stated that, um, uh, that, you know what, you have to be a special person to have a concealed carry permit. To my knowledge, they really didn't issue any. Uh, and so Bruin was on all fours. And, of course, we know the way Bruin was uh, was decided. But the real troubling part, Dean, as you stated, is that now you have the state of Hawaii refusing to follow the law of the land. Uh, Hawaii courts decided to interpret the, the mere, their mirror image of the 2A differently than the United States Supreme Court. Uh, you know, remember the principles and guiding force of, of, of the United States is governed by laws. If we don't have laws, we really don't have anything. The, the and the ultimate interpreter of laws, second only to God, is, a, is is the Supreme Court of the United States. So then I started looking. Well, wait a minute, what's going to happen when these states refuse to follow the Supreme the Supreme Court? Well, you know, we th- we think about New York State; they don- they're not following Bruin. Massachusetts isn't even following Heller, and never did. And so what what choice does the Supreme Court have and and how do you enforce this? So I did some research and I found out, you know, one of the things they can do is employ legal challenges uh, by ignoring a Supreme Court decision. And it obviously can result in legal challenges and lawsuits filed against the state. You know, again, but that's another lawsuit and say that they lose and they're going to ignore that also. Uh, But individuals or organizations that are affected by the state's noncompliance, they can also seek legal remedies and, and sue essentially this, the state. Uh, again, uh, are they going to follow that decision? This United States Supreme Court can hold the uh, state Supreme Court in contempt of court for knowingly and willfully disregarding a, a Supreme Court ruling uh, if they're held in contempt of court. Uh, certainly if I'm held in contempt of court, I can be thrown in jail for a while. So I guess uh, possibly or, or most probably the Supreme Court could uh, could do the same thing. But again, Enforcing that and other penalties imposed by the federal judiciary can be troublesome. And then there's also federal intervention that can take place. You know, the federal government holds a lot of strings that they can be pulling through the Department of Justice or other agencies. They can intervene to enforce compliance with the Supreme Court decision. Uh, That can involve federal lawsuits or enforcement actions against a noncompliant state. Of course, the big one is loss of federal funding. If you're not going to follow the precedent set by the United States Supreme Court, your federal money is going away, and there's quite a few states out there that can, that can never survive without that money. And, you know, I like to think that there would be some kind of uh, political fallout from ignoring uh, SCOTUS decision that can lead to uh, political backlash somewhere. And then, you know, and something that um, that affects us as a people is uh, the erosion of the rule of law. We know, we're a country of laws. that's the, Our foundation was built upon that. And the noncompliance with the Supreme Court decision totally undermines the rule of law. And 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 I think you've seen uh, what lack of enforcement throughout these blue states or sanctuary cities has done to America, uh, the the rise in crime, carjackings, uh, shoplifting, and, and whatnot is is a direct result of the re, the rule of law being ignored by these states, and, and overall why the states have the authority to challenge and disagree with SCOTUS uh, through other legal means. The outright defiance of the court's rulings uh, have, as we can see, serious political uh, and real impact on crime in these cities. And all of a sudden, if we lose the ability to be a a land of laws, we are pretty much a third world country in my view.
0: So I assume that this case is going to go to the U S Supreme court, right? They're going to appeal it all the way up and then they're going to have to, to make the decision and, and we'll see what happens.
1: You know, you're right. And I think based on, uh, the recent decisions, it's probably going to be a nine-zero 0 decision. I can't imagine that anybody on that Supreme Court would say, you know what? That's all right. You don't have to follow our rulings. I'd have to say that's a nine-zero 0 decision. But again, the key part is going to be, all right, how are you going to enforce that decision?
0: Well, you know, if it's a Democratic administration, that's not going to happen, right? Because... No, I agree with
1: you. It will not happen. What's, what's the next enforcement? Department of Justice has got to try to do something. But I would think uh, that if you took away their federal, federal funding, they wouldn't have much of a much of a state left anymore because we're so dependent upon federal money.
0: So this is one of those situations where the administration matters, right? I mean, if Biden gets in there again, certainly that administration is not going to do anything about this. They're they're going to allow them to continue to ignore the U.S. Supreme Court.
1: Well, in my view, the very foundation of this country hangs in the balance because when you have independent states acting independently, deciding that the rule of law no, no longer matters, we can say, uh, what we want to say, and we can follow the law as we see fit. I uh, mean, that, that's that's out on anarchy, and I, I don't know where we go as a country from there. So this is a very important case, and we need to take a look at this on a continuing basis. So uh, you know, we can do whatever we, as Buckeye Farms Association, and and every other pro gun group can do to make sure that th- th- these laws are enforced. Because more and more, uh, they attack the Second Amendment more than any other amendment that's out there. Whether it's through their banking whether it's through uh, concealed carry laws or lack thereof or special treatment uh, or on and out uh, anti-gun attacks and seizures.
0: So, Sean, there are some cases that have already gone to the Supreme Court, and there are three in particular that I'd like to discuss. One of them has to do with gun ownerships by those with restraining orders. One is on bump stocks, and there's one on freedom of speech for the gun industry. Now, this first one on restraining orders, it's called United States versus Rahimi. That's is that the correct way to say that, Rahimi? Yeah, that's correct. So United States versus Rahimi, they've heard the oral arguments and there is an opinion pending, so they could decide that at any time. This was about a guy in Texas who was a suspect in several shootings. He also was under protective order for alleged assault on his girlfriend. So police found guns in his home he was indicted for violating federal law. However, a circuit court vacated the convictions and basically declared the ban unconstitutional. But then the DOJ uh, appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. So the question here is, you know, there's this federal law prohibiting gun possession by those with domestic violence restraining orders. Does that violate the Second Amendment? So Sean, is there any chance that the Supreme Court is going to strike this down?
1: Well, I've been following this case very closely. I represent a client that is serving time in federal prison uh, for firearms violations that, according to Bruin or under Bruin, uh, to be clear, uh, states that if it's not part of the history and purpose of the Second Amendment, basically, if it wasn't the law in 1791 when it was adopted, it's not the law now. And certainly... Uh, Domestic violence, for example, didn't really become a a criminal element until early in the 80s. In fact, it was always considered to be a a family matter. And, uh, of course, with the Lomberg Amendment and what they did with any minor misdemeanor conviction of domestic violence and a a total loss of gun rights forever, uh, that doesn't necessarily follow the history and practice of the Second Amendment. So that's why the courts have, have held on Rahimi's side saying, wait a minute. If we follow what Thomas said, Thomas's decision in New York State Rifle and Pistol versus Bruin, Rahimi shouldn't lose his Second Amendment rights. Uh, and so there's a pretty big thing. I've been watching all the cases dealing with Bruin because, essentially, most of the 1968 Gun Rights Act won't exist anymore. And, I, and I've said over and over again, uh, there's people's heads are going to explode when a lot of these Bruin decisions come down if they follow the Supreme Court like they did in this case.
0: So, I mean, no one really wants violent criminals to have access to firearms, but isn't there a due process element here? I'm not really familiar with the case. Maybe you can explain this. But this was all about the restraining order, and I don't know if he was convicted of anything, was he? No,
1: and that was the key. He wasn't convicted of anything yet. Uh, He was under a restraining order for domestic violence, and mostly when a domestic violence restraining order or any personal protection order is issued, the first, the first bite at the apple is it's the person who's filing for the order alone. So Mr. Rahimi probably wasn't even present in court when they issued the restraining order against him. Uh, his girlfriend went in, said this is what he did, and and uh, unilaterally they'll grant the restraining order. And then Rahimi will have a chance to come in at a later time and argue his case. But if you look at Bruin and the fact that this has to follow the history and, and uh, the history of, of the Second Amendment, again, going back to, well, domestic violence, uh, especially when you're looking at a minor misdemeanor, domestic violence, yelling at your wife, yelling at your kids or, or something like that, that doesn't even involve violence, maybe the threat of violence from someone raising their voice, uh, you, the lifetime ban on on firearms. Well, that that doesn't follow the history and precedent and practice set forth by the Second Amendment. And that's what Rahimi is was, was being ruled on. And the due process was part of it because, again, he had um, he had no 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 opportunity to be heard and and, uh, uh, and expound his part of the story. Uh, it was just done based on what his girlfriend said. And certainly, that's not a conviction. That's not a decision made. And that's certainly that's not due process.
0: You know, this sounds a lot like red flag laws, where basically someone has an accusation, guns are taken away from somebody, and then after the fact, there's some legal process to figure out if they did the right thing.
1: Well, you're exactly right because that's what a red flag law is. There's no due process. One person says you shouldn't have guns, at least for now, and they go into your house and they take them. Just like in this case, uh, uh, the federal government in Lautenberg and federal statute says, you know what, you have a minor misdemeanor uh, or, or uh, a, a uh, restraining order against you for domestic violence, and uh, even though you haven't had a chance to be heard, you can't have guns. And I think that's what the state uh, uh or or the federal government really started to focus on wait a minute even though there's Bruin out there but do we even really have due process in this case and, and the answer is no
0: so I'm going to just ask again do you think the U.S Supreme Court would strike down this federal law
1: I think they have to based on the precedent set by uh Bruin based based on Thomas's uh decision of of the history and practice of the Second Amendment I think they have no choice and like I said, I think the majority the vast majority of the 1968 Gun Rights Act and acts that, that were passed earlier than that are are basically going to be uh, uh, going to be decimated and, and found all to be uh, unconstitutional.
0: Okay, well I guess we'll find that out pretty soon. So there's another case on bump stocks. This one is called Garland versus Cargill and the oral arguments are actually scheduled for just a few days from now, Sean when we're recording this. February 28th, that's coming up pretty quick. This is all around that Las Vegas mass killing. I'm sure everybody remembers that. This was a guy who had apparently several rifles fitted with bump stocks. And I don't know if we ever found out whether he used all of those rifles or or whether he just had them. The, uh, you know, they didn't release a lot of the information out of that uh, case, but it's not, this case is really not so much about the second amendment as I understand it. It's really about the ATF and whether they acted outside their authority because they basically just came out with a ruling and said, well, you know what? These bump stocks are actually machine guns and this case might affect other devices like this, you know, like the Glock switches, pistol braces, ghost guns, things like that. So what's your prediction? What's, what's going on at this case?
1: Well, and I, I've been waiting for this to come for a long time. This is based on or a theory called the Chevron deference. Uh, Chevron, of course, oil company uh, was involved in, in some activity that the EPA decided uh, that they were going to ban and you can't do that. Well, the EPA was nearly creating laws, and we know that Congress is who creates laws. So this case went up, the, the Chevron case went to the United States Supreme Court, and they said, well, you know, uh, they're not exactly passing laws. They're doing something so close uh, to the normal means of what they do on a daily basis that they can make these slight changes and they can make these interpretations because it's so close to what they do on a normal basis, they're really not making a law. Well, there's a lot of cases that have happened, bump stock uh, for one, where when you create a brand new definition that Congress created for what a machine gun is and redefine it, it goes beyond something that they do on a normal day-to-day business. They got caught doing the same thing with an arm brace. Uh, And I think this is going to follow basically the arm brace decision. I mean, that's there. Uh, The the stereo decisis is almost going to demand that they do that because you know what? It's the same thing. The ATF that does not have the authority, in my view, and certainly a lot using the Chevron deference in other cases to say, you know what? Uh, Bump stocks or machine guns, we made that decision. Uh, Turn them all in. And I always like to kind of chuckle and think, I think I got more bump stocks turned into me as an attorney then uh, the ETF got turned in in this area. But in my prediction there is that uh, uh, bump stocks sh- should go the way that the arm brace did. The only major problem here is, Dean, didn't everybody allegedly have to destroy those? So how do you get your money back? Because now you had an unlawful taking, in my view, when, when the ETF w- was uh, was given the authority or took the authority to ban bump stocks and, uh, and say, turn them all in. So those are there. And there was quite a few cases filed along those. I think Garland was probably the first one to make it, but uh, this is another important case. Where does the authority of Congress end and where does the authority of of these agencies like the EPA or the ATF, the TSA, when does their authority begin and how much can they exercise on their own?
0: This is the case that I kind of assume that they're going to shoot this down. They're going to say the ATF did exceed its authority, It seems pretty clear to me, because I I don't think that any of us want an agency like the ATF just coming up with their own laws. If they can do it, then other uh, organizations can do that as well, right? And then what's the point of even having Congress when unelected officials can just come up with law?
1: Clearly, congressionally and and based on uh, uh, statute and the Constitution, they don't have the right to make laws. That's reserved for Congress and and that's exactly what they did because it was congress that came up with the definition of what a what a machine gun was and it was congress that came up with that part of, of 18 USC dealing with firearms and the ATF just can't take it upon themselves to uh to basically uh, do their bidding and ban something that congress says is illegal and granted it was very it was a very very emotional time if you think about it how how quietly That incident just went into the sunset. We never heard about it. We didn't know anything about this guy, really. We had no idea what happened. It just went away. And then all of a sudden, we ended up with a bump stock ban, and then people had to turn everything in or destroy them. If they're going to follow the the past precedent, recent precedent, I I believe the bump stocks are going to be legal, or at least they're going to be found that the ATF did not have the authority uh, to do what they did, and then it is upon Congress to, to take any action that they deem fit.
0: Well, that's what I was alluding to earlier. You know, this had a lot to do with uh, all the hotels out there because, you know, everything in Las Vegas, and I used to live there, everything is about those hotels and, and gambling, and they really did not want this to be talked about. They buried a lot of this information. Of course, there was a big story, but a lot of it never really came out. I'm not sure we ever found out which guns or how many guns he actually used. He had a bunch, but did he use all of them exactly? What did he do? What was his motivation? All of that. You're right. It just sort of got buried. The hotels out there are very powerful. You know, these are billion-dollar organizations, and they didn't want people talking about this. I'm not sure we ever really found out all the facts on, on what happened. my theory was that he had, you know, all of these different rifles with bump stocks because he tried them out, and he, he figured out really quickly that they jammed the guns.
1: Well, I agree, Dean, and and, it, and we didn't find out any of the facts. I think it, I think the big money in Las Vegas had a lot to do with it. Because certainly, you didn't want you didn't want nobody uh, going to Vegas anymore because of uh, of what happened, and uh, and that was troublesome in itself. The fact that we never heard why or what, but then the, the result of that, and um, I'm all, almost hurt, Dean. I've known how long have I known you?
0: Oh, uh, way too long.
1: And I, I had no idea you used to live in Las Vegas. What else don't I know, Dean?
0: Uh, well, all that's under uh, under seal. The court has okay, sealed well, that information. But then then so. I, won't,
1: I won't press, but that, <laughs> but that was something I didn't know about Dean.
0: No, I, I lived out in Las Vegas for a while, and I tried my hand at teaching. My teaching career lasted exactly three weeks and three days, and I quit. And uh, that's all I'll say about that.
1: All right. I won't, I won't go into any more <laughs> on the air, but I'd like to know what you were teaching. So, were you, were you teaching people how to count cards?
0: No, I, I was actually no, I was a, I was actually a teacher. I was in the right. teaching seventh grade. Then they moved me up to high school. But it was you know I was from West Virginia. I was used to West Virginia high schools, and then you move into a big city like that. It was a very different experience. So yep. it was. Just, Sean, honestly, it was just one of those life is too short kind of moments. And uh, three weeks, three days, I quit.
1: Well, you, you know when you know.
0: So uh, there's one more case here. And this is a First Amendment case, and it's called National Rifle Association versus VOLO. This was something that happened after the Parkland murders back in 2018. New York basically tried to get banks and financial service providers to sever ties with the firearms industry under the guise of quote-unquote risk assessment. The NRA sued... And they argued that this was really all about suppressing pro-gun views and and violating the First Amendment. Sean, this sounds an awful lot like Operation Chokepoint, if you remember that, where the Department of Justice basically, through the FDIC, tried to pressure banks to stop doing business with firearms dealers. And it was exposed by the Wall Street Journal. And then the whole thing ended with multiple lawsuits. So explain this because... Why is this a First Amendment case when it's really trying to shut down gun dealers using financial regulations?
1: Well, uh, the First Amendment covers more than, than, than just plain speech. And when you're taking someone's ability away to conduct its business, to, to market, to advertise, which is a lot of it. And, he, and what it came down to was if the banks had knowledge that they were that they were advertising marketing, uh, or selling firearms or anything that they determined to be uh, dangerous uh, under under their uh, interpretation of what was going on. And basically it is operation choke choke point. It was almost operation choke point on steroids because now you're going after the big companies and the big businesses. So it became first Amendment because they interfere it interfered with the person's rights to conduct commerce and uh, and and to advertise at the same thing. So that's really where the First Amendment, in my view, came about dealing with this, but you know what? It just goes to show you, they'll go after our Second Amendment rights any way you can do it, and Dean, I know you and I have both said over the years, you don't have to take our guns to be anti-gun. You don't have to take our guns uh, or, or keep us from buying guns uh, to be anti-gun. Every extra fee, every extra hoop to jump through, uh, taking away our ability uh, as, a, as a store owner to, to sell firearms and sporting goods because, you know, the government and, and banks decide that that it's dangerous and I shouldn't be allowed to do that. That that's the main principle here. So that's how kind of how the First Amendment gets involved with something that really uh it bleeds over into the, the second amendment also. But but dealing with someone's ability to market and to sell their goods or or how uh you got in with uh, the realm of the First Amendment.
0: So this is a case that They've accepted it at the Supreme Court, but they haven't had oral arguments. They've not even scheduled it yet.
1: Dean, what it comes down to is it plainly addresses the scope of financial regulators, their oversight on the gun industry, their interactions and and implications for the the First Amendment rights of that industry. Uh, And that's what it comes down to. And that's what the main decision is about. These are pretty weighty, pretty heavy decisions and, and questions of law. That, that are on the table right now, and and they can have wide-ranging implications for us as gun owners, for you as the uh, executive director of the Buckeye Firearms Association, When how far of a stretch is it to decide that your action in, in promoting and supporting and fighting for the Second Amendment and our gun rights all of a sudden can be regulated? I mean, that's, that's how close we are now. It's not that far of a stretch. If you're going to do it to someone selling guns, why can't you do it to somebody who's talking about guns and fighting for gun rights and essentially advertising guns? So, you know, we're all on a chopping block if you think about it.
0: Well, we've had people contact us as uh, saying that, you know, even today, that a lot of uh, people who were involved in guns one way or another have trouble getting credit cards or have trouble opening a bank account or a merchant account that will process credit cards. That whole Operation choke point, you know, that was shut down. But a lot of it still continues today, oh, where right. a lot of, yeah, a lot of banks, they, they just don't want to deal with you if you're in one of the so-called, you know, sin businesses, like, you know, guns or gambling or whatever, even though you're complying with laws.
1: Well, they don't want to deal with you, not so much as that they don't want to deal with the customer or, the, or their, the, their customer. They don't want to deal with the Ester the, the Headaches or the extra focus that the federal government is going to put on them for doing business with with us or or with a gun owner or with a a gun range or an FFL. That's what it comes down to. They just don't want the headache, the federal government. So I think a lot of that is the federal government goes in and puts such tight restrictions and starts looking at them and everything they're doing, they're saying, you know what? I don't want this. I'll just just get rid of those customers. It's not worth my time.
0: So, Sean, uh, let's uh, turn the tables here a little bit. And let's talk about you and a foundation that you run called the American Freedom Liberty Foundation. And you're going to have a big banquet coming up here pretty soon. Why don't you tell us all about that?
1: Yeah, the banquet is, is uh, I've, I've been running my own nonprofit, which is uh, the American Liberty Freedom Foundation. And our annual big banquet is uh, for the Butler County Friends of You Shooting Sports. Uh, we promote uh, shooting uh, in scholastic shooting programs in high schools four H clubs, boy and girl scouts, or any other clubs, steel singers, uh, uh, different activities for children and new shooting sports. So it's on Friday, March first, at receptions in Fairfield, Ohio. For anybody you know within uh, an hour or two from us, it's, it's a great time. I know, Dean, you've been to it, and I believe you're going to come to it again. Uh, We're going to have social hour that includes gun raffles, wall of guns, table of guns. During the night, we'll have live auctions for firearms for trips. We have a special. A couple special Trump guns, and there's, there's going to be a very special announcement dealing with that. Uh, if anybody's been watching, Sheriff Rick Jones, Butler County, we have a, two custom guns, 1911s, for, that Rick's promoting for us to raise money. We have a tremendous amount of hard to find bourbons and liquors this year. We've had a lot of it donated to us for those people who like Weather, uh, Stag, uh, Blantons, and like uh, we have we have a lot of that also. You can log on. Uh, to aflf.org to get tickets if you want to come. And I understand a lot of you uh, aren't close enough to, to Cincinnati or uh, or to Butler County, Ohio, and you can't make it, but you can go and you can click a button to donate now, and you can donate whatever you can afford. Uh, and I encourage you to do that because it's so important. I mean, this event serves as an opportunity for individuals to support local youth shooting programs, you know, while enjoying a, a, a good time that night with a bunch of like-minded uh, fellow Second Amendment enthusiasts. Uh, you know, you got to remember, folks, our children are the backbone of our future. Uh, they're the future uh, for everything. If we fail to instruct, train, or educate our youth related to the proper and safe use of firearms and the need and utility of the Second Amendment, then, you know, and our right to keep and bear arms, what are we going to end up with? There's a lot of people listening to me that are in the military that put their life on the line protect our Second Amendment rights and other constitutional rights, and especially the Second Amendment to, for self-protection, and it protects us from the treason from our government. we got to make sure that, that uh Second Amendment and a shooting sports, whether it's hunting, target practice, uh, trap and skeet, uh, goes forward. Because without that, we're losing a huge hole, and we're, we're losing far, far more than I think that we can even fathom right now. You know, I'm confident that, Dean, that most people listening to this podcast on a regular basis were raised the same way that 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 I was in Pennsylvania, that you were in West Virginia. You know, my grandfather and grandmother raised my father. My father and mother raised me, and and my wife and I have raised our children to love the United States of America, defend this country, and to fight for the country, and God forbid, die for this country. You know, and what determines the future of this great country are our kids, and we're supporting youth shooting programs. And uh, what makes all this possible is the Second Amendment and the skill at arms. And so we do this. Um, can tell I have a, a lot of passion for this because I'm, I'm I'm so so focused on the future of this country and it all starts with what we have uh, ingrained in our children and, and what the Second Amendment provides them. So and it's a celebration of freedom and a celebration of youth shooting sports. We'll have people from 4-H clubs, high school trap shooting clubs that you'll see their awards, you'll hear their stories and what uh the youth shooting sports in Butler County has done for their lives. And we also have, uh, went outside of Butler County and provided funding for, for arming teachers and schools, uh, for taking care of, uh, different scouting troops in, in, uh, in different parts of Ohio. But that's important to us. And so please, if, if anybody can make it, get on to aflf.org. You can buy your tickets there. There's, there's a few left, not many. Uh, but if, you but if you're so inclined, please donate. We give you the opportunity to do that. And if anybody has any questions, my number is 513. 513- Four eight four zero one four two, and um, and I'll be happy to answer any questions. But again, the easiest way to do it is to get on aflf.org, and you can donate, and you can buy tickets. You can also, uh, we have gun raffles that are going on now, also in the state of Ohio. So you you can uh, you can click on that and enter your chance to win the guns and support youth and youth shooting at the same time. So you know, Dean, thank you so much for allowing me the time to talk about this. And uh, thank you for all you and Buckeye Farms that continue to do with firearms rights in the state of Ohio and for what you do for kids.
0: Sean, you said that you had a couple raffles going on right now. Can you describe, I mean, you have two guns that you're raffling off, right?
1: We have uh we have Sig Sauer uh, AR-15 tread with a lot of accessories and we have some rare, hard to find Colt firearms also in another auction. So you can ch- choose your, take your pick or Do what I do, and when I have the chance to do that, and that's to to buy a chance on both of them, it increases your chances. And anybody who wants to come to our banquet, I always point out your chance of winning firearms. Your odds are as as low as one out of thirty, one out of fifty-two, one out of a hundred, or just leaving your hand up long enough in a live auction. But we give away dozens and dozens of guns, safaris, trips, everything. You know, we're like the ATF. Alcohol, tobacco, and firearms—you're going to walk away with something you like.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's quite an event. I know you had told me about it for a while, and I'd never been there. Then I came one year, and it was like, wow—you know, this this is a huge event. I mean, you're growing out of the facility that you're using right now, right? I mean, you've got yeah, you get four or five hundred people to show up.
1: Oh, unfortunately, I I went with their floor plan, and when we removed the games because the games are over. We're gonna rush tables out, and that's gonna buy me an extra fifty people. And if you're a friend of mine, uh, you're not gonna get the best seating. You know, people think, well, if if you bought a table or you're not, you're not a friend of mine, you're pre, you're gonna get in the main showroom. But because I, I don't care if my friends aren't happy with me, I care, but not really. <laughs> but I do care if if you guys come from Columbus and you have bad seats. So any questionable seats, and there's hardly any in there, but the the, the seats. Further in the back are going to be be my friends and people that I know that that aren't going to care one way or another. It's a great time. And, Dean, I'm so happy Buckeye Firearms is coming this year because you know what it's like. And and I can't wait to celebrate this this night with with my friends from Buckeye Firearms Association. So if anybody's interested, please come. Please donate. uh, Please help us out because, after all, you know, I'm not sure who sang the song, but children are our future. Certainly the future of America.
0: Yeah, we've got a whole table that we bought, and uh, that's on March 1st. Looking forward to that.
1: Can't wait to see you, Dean.
0: So, Sean— Maybe we
1: can find out what else I don't know about you.
0: Well, well, uh, I guess you'll have to ply me with some drinks.
1: Maybe I'll offer, as a live auction item, a chance to shoot with Dean Reed.
0: No, we could do something like that. I, I was right. worried that I was worried that was going to go in a different direction.
1: Well, you could, but that's something just for you and I. But you know what? I bet you I can find somebody with a machine gun, suppressors, and other interesting uh, gear to bring along for you guys if we do that.
0: I, I, I was I worried. You- I was worried you were going to raffle off a date with me or something. and I was going to say, well, my wife might have something to say about that.
1: I, I will never step between you and your wife. Believe me, I, I know what kind of tornado she can be.
0: So, Sean, if anyone has any legal questions about firearms or their gun rights, you've already given out your phone number, but why don't you do that again? How can people get a hold of you? A
1: couple ways Sean, S E A N, at secondcalldefense.org. My phone number again is 513 484 0142. And I take all the calls, I answer all the calls. In fact, I'll be answering a call uh, left on my cell phone earlier somebody who lost their firearms rights. Uh, when they were teenagers and they want to get a restoration. And also, Dean, I, I, on the Buckeye Farms uh, side, you guys are actively working to pass uh, legislation to make sure that everybody can get a restoration that they deserve. So thank you for doing that also. And I'm sure you'll be talking to that in the future.
0: Well, Sean, thanks for spending time with us today. And we'll talk to you again soon.
1: Dean, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure.
0: That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at buckeyefirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to joinbfa.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.